Hi guys. I'm just going to take a moment to pray, so let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you today, well this evening, um, for this opportunity just to sing and to think about maybe some of the things that you're inviting us into. Um, I pray that you would give me words to say and that you would uh, continue to stretch us and um, encourage us and challenge us and comfort us as we look to follow you. Jesus, I just ask that you would give us courage um, to follow you in the places that you are asking us to go. And ask that in your holy name. Amen. Well, hey guys, uh, this is our new time, 8.30. Well, I guess it's not 8.30 anymore, but it's our starting time. And part of the reason that we decided to do that was 2.30 in the afternoon is is a hard time to just stop and listen. And 6 o'clock in the evening, most people are eating. But we know that at 8.30, a lot of you have at least put your kids down and might be willing to sit in front of your screen or on your phone and just listen and take a moment to rest halfway through the week and ponder what God might be calling you to. Um. This week, and in particular this Saturday, is an important day uh, because this Saturday we are doing a community-wide fast and prayer time, fasting and prayer time. So in your um, in the email that you get every week on Thursday, there's going to be a PDF file uh, that is that meditation sheet that you will be using on Saturday. You'll also be able to go onto the website and find it. And on Facebook, every two hours, you will be prompted um, with the questions um, and the encouragement to pray and to fast. And so we invite you to do that. uh, And we're really excited about it. Today, I want to just help you think that through a little bit. And I also, the whole purpose of these Wednesdays as we're making sort of this transition um, is to maybe kind of push our community, the village, towards what God is asking us to maybe to wrestle with. And so that's my, my objective tonight is just to give you some encouragement in that direction. Now, I um, had a bunch of texts and I was going to read them all and, and I just thought, you know what, the best thing for me to do is just talk to you out of my heart. So I will talk about scripture, but I'm just going to lay out some things for you. And so if the Holy Spirit takes me on a tangent, you're just going to have to go on that tangent with me for a moment. But I wanted to open up today, uh, this evening, with uh, kind of an acknowledgement of my own state in things. Uh, I, I would say that in this, this whole sequester time from March until now um, has been difficult for me. Uh, it's, and I've gotten to the point where I, um, I find it difficult to, to, to do the extra things that I want to do, to be motivated to be creative, to have some kind of hope that things are going to change, that I'm actually going to see all of you. Um, I'm getting Zoom exhaustion. So those are, those are just some of the things that, that I'm experiencing there. And, and as I talk to you guys, I hear those same things. 
Um, but on top of all of that, like I am also troubled and discouraged and upset and angry and even just bewildered as I watch and the 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 racial unrest and the political unrest um and as i experience that i it generates a certain level of anger um and as i as i watch what's happening and yet there's also generates a certain sense of powerlessness um and and i as i talk to a lot of you i think i hear that too i i hear that that too i hear that in some ways we're we're all at our wit's end. Some of us um, in, are in different places and all of that, but we are wrestling with it. And, and it, it feels overwhelming. A simple word would be just overwhelming. Um, and as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about what is it that the village itself is called to in all of this? Because the value that we have put forward, the mission that we put forward, and really even before we were saying it, it was true, and that is that healing the city one person at a time has been the driving force of our community. Healing the city one person at a time. And as I was pondering that, some moments in my life came up that I, I realized illustrate to me what healing the city one person at a time means what it means to follow Jesus in that, what it means to offer healing. Because I, I, as I think about how Jesus made disciples, healing the city, healing Jerusalem, healing Bethlehem one person at a time is very much what Jesus did. And it started a movement. But what does that, that mean to me? Like what, is, what are some tangible, I don't know, pictures? I, I was thinking about this and there are two moments in my life that I think define healing the city one person at a time and kind of what inspires me and kind of reminds me of what I'm supposed to be about. Um, When I was in the fourth grade, I lived in Miami, Arizona. And Miami, Arizona is what, I don't know, an hour, two hours from, from Tucson. It's a little mining town. You, you miss it because you go through Globe and you don't ever get to Miami, Arizona. But my dad was vice principal of Miami High School. And when I was in the fourth grade, I would take the bus home. And there was this kid on the bus named Chad. And Chad had communicated very clearly on Monday that he was going to beat me up on Friday. I guess there was an opening in his schedule for beating up. Now, in the neighborhood, I had two friends. One who was in my class, and his name was Craig. And the other was Jeremy, and he was a year or two older than me. Now, Craig was the biggest kid in the fourth grade. Chad was in the fifth grade. And Chad had communicated he was going to beat me up. So Friday comes, and I jump off the bus, and I had been thinking about it the whole time, and I realized there is no way for me to run from the bus stop all the way home. And I figured he'd catch me, push me down, and I didn't really want to face plant it in the pavement. So I figured I'd turn around once the bus left and face him, and we'd get this over with. So I did. The bus left, and I turned around, and there was Chad. And then, you know when you're afraid, you just get, you get blinders. You don't realize anybody else is around you. I don't remember Craig getting off the bus. But he got off the bus, and after the bus left, he stepped in between me and Chad. He turned his head, and he looked at me, and he said, Run. And then he turned around and he hit Chad as hard as he could. And I ran as fast as I could. And, and 
Craig got beat up. He got a black eye and his face was all swollen up. Now a little side note to that, Jeremy found up out and took care of Chad, and that was the end of that. But <laughs> regardless, Craig stepped in between me and took my suffering. He stood between a violent person and took their violence from me. And when I think about healing the city one person at a time, I think about that. That is what it looks like in a lot of ways, both literally and, and, in the met, and metaphorically, that we stand between oppression, we stand between violence, we stand between negativity, we stand between um, hardship, and we take it on ourselves, And we tell people, run. That's what healing the city one person at a time is. But Jeremy, who was a little older than me, he was like two grades up, I think, from the second grade on, so when he was in the, the fourth grade, he took me under his wing and he taught me how to paint models and build models. He taught me how, where I should get my snake bite kit and my canteen, and he took me out hiking, and we built forts, and we fought the bullies together, and we built bow and arrows, and we did all of these cool things. And I don't ever remember a moment where Jeremy rejected me, said I didn't belong, I couldn't be his friend, I couldn't hang out with him. Right? Jeremy embraced me, invited me to come along, and taught me everything he knew, and acted like I was like him. But I wasn't. I was two years younger. Um, and so that is also a picture to me of healing the city one person at a time. The power that Jeremy, who wasn't actually a follower of Jesus, who had in my life, still resonates now and informs how I understand to care for people because he was a living example of Jesus. In a world where things are so chaotic and have gotten so just confusing in some ways, and it also as we are coming to the realization that in so many areas, from politics to the way we understand who we are as a people to disease, we're not, it's never going to be the same. Healing the city, one person at a time, isn't changing. Standing in between people and taking negativity for someone else isn't changing. Having long-term impact by deeply caring for someone and walking with them isn't changing. That's what we're about as a community. Now, many years ago, there's a legendary talk that I gave. It's become legendary <laughs> um, because we were young as a community and we were small and we had lots of young people who weren't married. And I read a part of Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, where Jeremiah off gives a letter to the exiles in Babylon. Exiles are people who've been taken from their land and in captivity. And he said to them, don't think about moving. God doesn't want you to think about Jerusalem and going home. No, God wants you to build homes here God wants you to have children. He wants you to marry those children to one another. He wants you to ha them to have children. He wants you to build gardens. And in particular, he wants you to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city and to work for it. And I said, community, peoples, let's make Tucson our place of exile. And many people got married and had kids and planted gardens. And here's the thing that strikes me about that is that what is happening there is Jeremiah, God is saying to Jeremiah, 
The way that you, things are going to be well with you is when you offer stability to, a, to the places around you, to the chaos around you. The part of healing the city one person at a time is being people who offer stability. The way you offer stability is to offer what you have created, the gardens both literally and metaphorically that you've made over the years in this community. The ways to, to let other people taste the way you fought to have a marriage that's different than your parents. To have for your kids to experience moms and dads who love each other instead of moms and dads who left each other. Like this is this offering stability transforms things. And so when I I think about that, I think that's what healing the city is. But part of doing that is that when you have stability, when you build those kinds of things, you are able to stand in between people. You are able to come alongside people. You have space in your life when you've decided to work for the peace and prosperity of the city. But it's key here because I think the thing that gets emphasized twice in that passage is praying. And I think a lot of times as as people, we want to do stuff. And praying somehow doesn't seem like doing stuff. In one of Paul's most famous passages in Ephesians chapter 6, he begins to talk about what kind of conflict you and I are in, and he invites us to stand in the mighty power of the Lord and realize that our enemy is not flesh and blood, not people, but that our enemy is the devil and, that, and, and the prince and principalities, that there is under all of the chaos that you and I are experiencing and trying to keep our heads above. There is an enemy, and you and I are invited to fight that enemy. And we're encouraged by Paul to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and all these things. But what's really fascinating is that after he says all of that, he says, pray with all kinds of prayers and requests for the church, basically. And then for me, so that when I go out, I might have words to say that honor the gospel. One of the things that the elders really feel in this time that we need to learn as a community is to how to pray and fast together, how to be connected in our praying and fasting, how to be a unit that fights against the enemy, because he, here's the thing, as I look at the world and I see both in the village and outside of the village, I see these three symptoms. I see fear, fear of, of the unknown, the fact that the isolation and all the kind of the dismantling of things that we, that we value and that are normal to us and, and the racial unrest, like we're afraid of being out of control. So we're afraid. But we're also, there's an anger I see it in our streets. I see it. We've, we've all beca- become short-fused and there's, everything is just riding on the edge and everything can explode. And then in our cities, there's violence. And so there's fear and there's anger and there's violence, but our words have become violent if our actions haven't become violent. And so in order for us to be a people who move past that, and become, become people who walk alongside and offer stability 
and protection to become those people. We have to become people who understand the enemy we're fighting and a people who pray together and fast together. Because here's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus and, and here's the beauty of being a villager is that we have lots of weird names for everything. And one of the things we call our church is a neo-monastic mega house church. And in some ways that's been taken away from us in that you don't get to come to the mega house church and you don't get to have the rhythm of eating and the rhythm of singing together and the rhythm of, of a particular way of, of teaching and a particular way of taking communion and a practice that you do as a rhythm, that's gone. And we've never said we're monks in a monastery that are cloistered, right? That we, we can't leave and we all live together. That's why we're new. It's a new monastic movement. It's a new, these are new practices that we do together Then we're not cloistered together. So here, the reason I'm saying that is that your home, where you are right now, is your monastery. And in it, as your identity, you are a priest, you are an ambassador, and your home is your monastery and your church, and it is um, your embassy. You know, in Second Corinthians, we're told that we are ministers of reconciliation and that we're ambassadors, right? And in First Peter 2, we're told that we are part of a priesthood, Priests are people who stand between people of violence. And priests are people who come alongside others and bind up their wounds. But the only way that can work well is when the priesthood is connected and stable. But here's the other beauty of all that. We're not monolithic, meaning we all don't have the same calling. And I think this moment, when I say things are different, this is the moment when you need to listen to God because this is the moment you're going to hear maybe a calling for the next 30 years of your life. Because some of you are, your kids are leaving your home and it's time for a new ministry. And for some of you, your kids are, are getting older and it's a time to be more hospitable in new and creative ways. Some of you are young and have lots of energy and time. And so I, I think some of you are going to be called to be politicians and I think some of you are going to be called to be activists in new ways. And I think some of you are going to be called into different ways in your neighborhood than you have been. And some of you, God is going to point you to one person and say, that is your person for the rest of your life. Care for them. Some of you are, are going to be called and are called to fight for your family in whole new ways. But the only way you can hear that calling in any significant way is if you're willing to join, I think, your community in its fasting and prayer. So we're going to spend at least this new once-a-month fasting on the second Saturday uh, for the next three months. And we have three passages. And the first passage comes out of 2 Chronicles 20. And 2 Chronicles 20 tells the story of a King Jehoshaphat. And he tells the story of these people who are coming to destroy the kingdom. And they're people that they were not allowed to take care of. So now these people, when, when they were headed into the promised land, and so now these people have grown powerful and vast and they're coming against Israel. And it says that King Jehoshaphat was alarmed. And, and I, I was struck by that. He was alarmed. Where we are as a church, 
where we are as a, a country, where we are as a city, should be alarming to you. You should be alarmed. But the response to this alarming experience was that he resolved that he would inquire of the Lord. And all of Israel went to inquire of the Lord. And there's some narrative there, and you're going to get to study through that on Saturday. But there's a particular thing that just blew me away. And that is that he says with everybody, we don't, God, we don't know what to do. I, that's beautiful. King Jehoshaphat is leading us as a people in the 21st century in that he is saying, this is the place you should be before God. We don't know what to do. That's how I feel when I'm honest, is that I have to lay on my face before God and say, I do not know what to do. But the next phrase is what blew me away, is that he said, but we will keep our eyes on you. The invitation this weekend is for you to be in a place where you can honestly just say, I don't know what to do but I'm going to keep my eyes on you and listen. Now the narrative goes on in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and God answers. And what God says to them, and I think this is an important thing for you to be pondering as it comes up to to, uh, fasting on Saturday. God says to them, take courage, don't be discouraged. Take courage. Um, And he says, this isn't your battle, this is my battle. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, this is mine, not yours. And I think one of the things that I do and I think we all do is that we believe, we take ownership of problems and solutions. We think that we've got to figure it out and we have to solve it and we have to act and we have to move. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things, but we often make that the very first thing and we get overwhelmed and we get disappointed that nobody's coming with us and nobody's doing it or it's just too much and none of us can handle it or none of us agree on what should be done or we just, we don't know what to do and yet we think we should know what to do and that we take responsibility and that it becomes overwhelming and God's saying, it's not your burden, it's my burden, so stop taking it. I love then the next thing he says to them. He says, now tomorrow get up and go face the enemy and I will be with you. So there is a getting up and there is a following. And that is what we are listening to both as a community and individually is for what God is calling us to as a people, individually and as a group, as we face COVID, as we face racial unrest and what the and reconciliation and what that means, as we look at power structures in our society that have been abusive, as we try to understand our own place in things, as we disagree with one another and all of it and wrestle to be brothers and sisters together, this is the place that that can happen when we're willing to pray and fast and ask for many things and listen. I want to make one last comment and then I'll end. At the end of all of this, when God speaks and they decide the next day when they decide to go face the enemy and they're going to go with God, you know what they do? Jehoshaphat talks to everybody and I think the conversation he has is, okay, out of all the Levites, who's the best singers? Um, But he gathers the musicians and they go in front of everybody as they go to face the army. And they go singing and thanking God for his love and his deliverance before they are delivered. 
I think that's beautiful. I think that's what you and I are invited into as we sing, is to sing and to remember that we have been delivered before we've been delivered. That God is going before us and we can thank God for his action. I want to just go back to the beginning and say, the village is, and I'm going to keep saying this over and over again, the village is healing the city one person at a time. And hopefully, the visual that you can hold on to is Craig, this fourth grader standing up to a fifth grader and defending your little fourth grader pastor. And Jeremy, this sixth grader, loving on this fourth grader and teaching him everything he knows. That's Jesus. That's what you and I are invited to. That's what I want to be. And I think God will work out the details if that's the direction we're pointing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you uh, so much just for my opportunity to share my heart with my people and with whoever else is watching. I just ask that you would um, bless my words, that your Holy Spirit would take them and do great things with them. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen. So, this is it, guys. <laughs> um, don't forget, you're going to get that PDF. And that PDF is going to tell you when and what to do on Saturday. So, look for it in your email or on the website.